0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager podcast, entitled Interaction is King with Huyen Chung, the founder and CEO of Remo. In this episode, we talk about how content is no longer king, but interaction is king and content is now queen. We talk about how events add purpose to human gatherings, and we explore Huyen's mission to create meaningful connections. We talk about the challenges of marketing a virtual office product rather than a virtual event product, and we talk about how Hoyin sees the future in terms of having a software as a service model, partnering with agencies, and offering carbon credits to really offset the in-person side of live events. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Hello, everybody, welcome to the Event Manager podcast. And I'm super excited to be talking to Ho-Yin Chung, uh, the CEO and founder of Remo. ho thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I'm super excited. Thank you for having me.
0: So ho uh, we've only recently met, but I'd be really curious if you, were, um, if you were able to give us a little bit of insight into your history, uh, You know, your background, and, and how did you get, get involved in this crazy event industry?
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I it's definitely very um, like I definitely fell into uh, this this industry. It wasn't something that I planned um, before. Um, so prior to uh, Remo, I had some other uh, ventures. Um, in I did like um, Amazon e-commerce before. I've done mobile marketing. Um, I also have done social media marketing as well. My the the venture right before Remo was a. Um, SaaS platform for helping social media accounts, social media brands grow their brands. Um, I started off working remotely, working with um, uh, individuals and individual contributors, and my teammates that were, were from around the world. And the reason why I, I did that was not really because of you know remote work as a philosophy. It was really actually more of just a need to find better talent. And so, um, I've been having and running remote teams for over like eight, eight years. Um, I originally started creating a virtual office product, Remo starter office is a virtual offer. In fact, we still have it as a, um, virtual office product, um, today. And, um, we, my original sort of goal was to, how do I create authentic conversations that build meaningful relationships? And, and because, you know, when I was running remote teams very early on, I found that, it's very difficult to develop relationships. Back in the day, we were using like Skype and like no Slack. It was just Skype. And mm-hmm. I lost some teammates because we just could not connect enough at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a fundamental human level. And so we created the virtual office product, which is essentially the same thing as Remo, except it's for offices, um, to solve that problem. And so then, could you um, give us a
0: little bit of context of how, how that works? So it's a virtual office product. Sure. Um, it's, there's video meetings, but what makes it different from a virtual event product?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's always a challenge to explain, but um, the way I explain it is um, it's like a 2D map um, and there's, you are represented by a little circle uh, profile picture and it's like a circle. And um, the 2D map has all these different maps, uh, different rooms. You double click into a room, you'll move into that room. And let's say um, there's three other people in the room. They all have their videos on. And once you jump into that room, the videos of those people will then show up kind of like at the top on your screen. So it kind of mimics that concept of like you walk into your room, you didn't see those people. Um, and so we originally were targeting like fully remote teams that um, wanted to kind of like replicate that environment. It was more for like a collaboration slash meeting tool, and to kind of have these sort of virtual hallway conversations that people did not have when you're working remotely. And um, and after that, we we proceeded to um, actually host a, um, an event um, for this uh, virtual summit. Back in the day, before virtual events were called virtual summits. And a virtual summit was a bunch of like pre-recorded videos that would play it, you know. And what we did was we collaborated with um, a summit that uh, was targeting uh, remote work teams and remote work business owners. And we were trying to sell our virtual office to them. We uh, modified our product to create this conference-like map. And um, with this conference map, uh, we had 10,000 people go through the conference and What's funny is like after three days and ten thousand people, no one bought the virtual office. Like even though that was what we were pushing and selling, no one bought it. And then people came up to me all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, this conference was amazing. I want to host a conference on Remo now. And at the beginning, we're like, oh, that's kind of odd because we're not a conference product. We're we're doing virtual office. Are you interested in virtual office? are like, no, we're not. The conference, we are. And um and so that kind of percolated a bit, and then and that's how we started to,
0: um. Like pivot into the event space. Um, And And when was this? So, could you give me some timelines and when did you launch Remo and when did you, when did this pivot kind of happen?
1: So, we, we were, we launched Remo around 2019, January of 2019. We started selling. Um, Things weren't going too well, like in terms of like, it just didn't gain much traction. It was very tough. We had some customers, but not a lot. But by August of 2019, we then pivoted. We did some experimentation, and um, you know, I did those events that I just mentioned, and then we f- then we started reselling the product, uh, pretty much like uh, se- September, October of twenty nineteen, and then twenty twenty is kind of like we all know what happened twenty twenty. So then, and then it just started to really, really expand in twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So you were kind of a little bit early to the game in the sense of you, you noticed there was something interesting, and and that that pivot that i guess a lot of people did probably 6 months later you had a you had a 6 months head start there in terms of thinking about the product more in terms of virtual events
1: yeah yeah yes it's, it's to that degree yeah absolutely mm-hmm.
0: Oh, cool. that, that sounds like a really fascinating story. And I followed some of the other things that, that, you've been, um, that you were a part of, which I think is quite interesting. And I know you've grown a lot during the pandemic. Um, how have you managed that? And I mean, I think you are a fully remote company as far as I know, right? So I mean, you have a lot of experience in doing the virtual office that you were kind of designed for. Um, how has that been working? Could you tell us a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, it's hyper growth, number one, I mean, we grew from, you know, five to like 100 people within the span of like 10 months. Um, And so that was really, really intense. So building out new processes and keeping the the team together was definitely not easy. There's definitely a lot of things that we had to do a lot of things we had to change. One of the things is that we were just changing all the time. Like, I think, you know, a lot of these changes you would probably experience across like two years or three years or whatever we experienced it across 10 months and the the degree of change was like it was almost like there was not much point to create too much process like it, it was better to just um not to create rules and to just just you know trust people to do what's best and hire people that can do, that just know what's best and can make the right decisions on their own rather than creating very detailed processes. Why? Because the processes would change. Literally the processes would change like a week later. So there wasn't much point in that. So I think it was really absolutely important that at the very beginning you hired like the right people that are able to like react to the change very quickly and not to get too tied down into processes because if you get too tied into processes, you end up just rewriting and spend a lot of work just rewriting. Prompt, rewriting stuff and that is not a very good use of your time so um, we were very process light during that time um, and from a remote standpoint um, we we heavily dog fooded our product like we use our product as our own virtual office we have a lot of activities that are um, engagement for uh my teammates like i organized like games to play with my teammates and during work hours like i would encourage them to come play with me You know, it was, it was like a very top-down approach in ensuring that it's okay to not work all the time. And that's very counterintuitive, but, you know, as, as there's a lot of, um, documentation and a lot of like people have been saying is that people actually tend to overwork when they work remotely. And my sort of argument is when you work physically, you know, who would admit that they spend 100% of their time working when they work physically, right? When you work with other people, I don't know what that number is. It might be five, 10, 15, maybe upwards to 30% where you're not actually working. Like you're just doing something else. You're just chit-chatting, you're doing something else. And um, that, that percentage varies and that leads to healthy culture and camaraderie when it's the right amount. But when remote working, Whatever that number is, let's just say it's 15%, it's now 0%, a very, very low number. And so, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to compensate for that. I'm trying to compensate for the difference. And that's why we – what I believe is that you need to have some form of um, uh, casual play or casual just get-together, um, some of that's voluntary. And actually, here's something that I, I think is a bit um, – I might say that's a bit – what's the word? Controversial is I think some things that as a group we need to get together has to be mandatory. Like it's mandatory that you, come. for example, like a virtual retreat, an annual retreat, is that optional or is that mandatory? Most fully remote companies, it's mandatory. It's team building, right? Team building is mandatory, it's forced fun. I mean, the the bad way to say it is it's forced fun. But my argument is, you know when you typically do events that people volunteer or it's voluntary people end up going because people are like well i have work to do like i don't i don't really want to go like i don't i don't know if i want to waste my time playing i just, just want to do my work and go home or, or do my work and just just uh, go go have my free time so they nobody, people just don't end up going so if it's optional don't go And voluntary is the only way that we get to see people then what I do is, is that it's team, we call it team building, but you're actually just having fun. You're just chilling and hanging out. Like there's nothing really too structured sometimes, some of them. It's literally an excuse for you to just talk to people at the end of the day. And you can talk to me if you want, you don't want to talk to me, it's fine. You just sit there and listen.
0: That's really interesting. I think that there's, a, there's part of that that also I think applies to events uh, in many ways. This This idea of this fear of joining something like that or this reticence of kind of being part of this event. Like you say, if it's voluntary, people just, They'd rather just get on with their work, but if they don't kind of take that chance, they're missing out because they're not putting themselves out there. Right? They're kind of protecting themselves. They're shying away from any sort of interactivity, which is which is such a shame. Um, I wanted I wanted to dig, dig in a little bit more in terms of Remo. I, I I find it a really interesting product in the sense that and and you know tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but most virtual event platforms are broadcast focused. You know, there's sort of like let's come up with a really cool way of having a sort of main video, people can chat, do whatever, but there's like a, a real focus on one video source. And Remo is very much sort of the breakout room platform in a way, you know. And and again, if I'm using the wrong terms, please correct me, but it feels like you really decided, hey, the, the important stuff is the chat. The important stuff is the communication between people rather than the broadcast. And I know it can do broadcast as well, but that's not kind of the the main focus by design. Could you tell me a little bit about why, uh, you know, why that was the sort of, I guess, starting point for Remo or the or design choice?
1: Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to, you know, what my, my sort of, um, I sort of mentioned this, this, this phrase, like my mission, right? The mission of the company really is we create authentic conversations that drive meaningful relationships. Um, and what we found was events is actually a the most compelling way to achieve that mission. Now, you can do that with virtual office too, but what we found is virtual events, it's just a way much more better way to achieve that. And so what we focus on is how do we create a human-centric experience? How do we humanize the whole thing? And so what I frequently look back and look at is what do you do normally in the absence of technology? When you don't have technology, what do us as humans do and what is our behavior? And that is where I always start from. When I think about um, like product design and I think about how do we, what our strategy is, is we want you to feel as close to, from a behavioral standpoint, to reality as possible. What when some people sometimes might think, "Oh, well, it's human-centered." They think, like, "Oh, well, just do 3D. Let's do 3D avatars." And, sa- and I would say, "Well, not really, because I, if, if you do 3D avatars, the real life analogy to that is everyone comes wearing cosplay, like they wear a mask, they dress up to a physical event." That's what a 3d avatar thing is. And when I think about that is do people do that at professional meetings? And we all, we all know that is no, we all go there dressed up proper. We see our own authentic face and connect with each other authentically to build trust, develops a meaningful relationship that results into business. And so I think about from that and when you, and what I, early on when I decided, when I looked at why do people go to events? Most people go to events, over 50 to 7% of people, depending on the type of event, go to events to connect with others, to get industry news, to network collaboration, partnerships, and you know, whatever. And the content is just the conversation starter. It's just a, it's, it's actually just a um uh uh, 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 uh the initial kind of gel or the, 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 the grease a push kind of like
0: for people, right? It's a going. prompt for people to go yeah. in a certain direction.
1: It's a prompt. Yeah. And I believe that it's a prompt. And so we focused on the individual, um, connections and those individual conversations is where the magic happens and where that magic happens. That's where Remo kind of got its, it's, um, it's original, um, because it, 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 it's, it doesn't have. When I say human centric, it doesn't mean that it has to be visual, like, Oh, it has to be 3d it has to be VR. There's so many things you can do that mimic the human behavior from a from an experience standpoint that doesn't have to be visual. It's just the sequence of events. It's the way how you present it, not necessarily 3D. And so that's what we've been doing.
0: Really interesting. And I, I particularly, you know, you, you said also the difference between the virtual office and events. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of kind of events as milestones, events as kind of important points in your life or in your working career where you do something Uh, and I feel like if you don't have events you know like the difference the practical difference between a virtual office and a virtual event is sometimes not that different but because there's a you know like there's a a title there's a theme there's a reason why people are gathering at a specific time then it becomes a milestone in itself because it's like okay this is the time that we're going to be talking about this one thing if it's just an office day like any other day you might have some really good conversations, but there, there are no prompts. Ultimately, there's no kind of significant focus where, where people kind of gather their energy. So
1: you, you made a really, really great point. And I can share you something that I started doing very early on, and which I realized was we created happy hours during um, right now, even for our virtual office. And we found that with no apparent purpose in terms of why you gather or why you come together, people don't attend at least virtually now physically you can't like happy hour. And that happens because there's a bar and there's alcohol or food involved. Like there's some thing to kind of draw you there. And then that creates that kind of like conversation, right? There's some thing that draws you, but online, there's not, there's, there's nothing to draw you. It was nothing to draw you. There's a lack of purpose. And um, I, I think that's kind of what I realized is, you know, the point of gathering is the point that you need to have a very strong purpose, whether it's content or something like that. And if you don't, it typically doesn't, uh, it doesn't pan out the way how we originally think it
0: will. Really interesting. Great. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on, on your kind of vision for the future a little bit, because I, because I think this is kind of interesting. Obviously you've you've, you've lived through some pretty, Crazy eighteen months or almost two years now with the, with the pandemic and also the time before, um, and I wondered your what your thoughts were on where we're going with this. You know, are there going to be a lot of virtual events in the future, or are they going to look very different to, to what they look like right now?
1: I mean, if if I so if if so, I think there's I think there's two ways to kind of look, at it and I'll share with two perspectives. There's where I think the industry is going to go, and the, where how I think. I would like the industry to go, from kind of my perspective, from the remote perspective. Um, how I think the industry is going to go is uh, obviously people are going to be using more virtual events. Like people are going to be, um, uh, they're they're going to they're going to see how um, virtual events are helpful. Um, and once kind of the hybrid model comes, I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation on hybrid and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we've seen some experimentation on that. I think hybrid is going to be a lot more difficult to execute for majority of event planners. Maybe for large events, I think the hybrid model would definitely be something that would make sense when people have big, big budgets. They can they can they can hire two teams, one for physical, one for virtual. Um, personally, I think hybrid is a very luxurious kind of you know sort of model of doing um, events um, until someone can find a much cheaper way to do it somehow. Um, and and I think there's going to be a more um, focus on um, continue continued focus on content from my perspective and where i believe the industry should go is and from our Rima perspective is it's all about interaction so people would say content is king and from my 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 from my perspective interaction is the new king content is the queen so content is a is a is a secondary thing but Interaction and engagement is really where all the magic is. And this drive towards authentic interaction is becoming more and more important. So it's not enough to just have chats or just to have people kind of sort of uh, know each other, but it's gotta be more immersive. And so um, I believe that, that, that the events industry will go more experiential uh, from my perspective, way more experiential. Um, the more experience, when I say experiential, it doesn't have to be VR. It doesn't have to be super immersive like AR or anything. It's just the experiences are designed to be much more human that, that you might have, for example, workshops. You might have um, uh, more ways to interact with each other, to play a game with each other, for example, um, to, to interact with each other in a way that can achieve a goal, like in a team-based environment or something like that. Like something that's just way more experiential to allow allow it to be very similar to an offline event because offline events are very experiential. They can get very experiential with very fancy booths and very fancy experiences. It's gonna be a lot easier to execute those types of experiences online at scale. And I think that's where I would love to see the environment going because that's when you get the really the huge benefits of why virtual is so much better than physical scale and potentially just as good experience.
0: So it sounds really interesting. It sounds like something that I would like to see as well. I, I particularly like this idea of engagement and interaction, but I, I feel like most events, and I'm not talking specifically about Remo in this case, but I feel like most events are very much in this broadcast kind of scenario. Um, why do you think that is? And, and what can we do to... Fix that. I mean, I without mentioning platforms necessarily, I, I don't think the platform is necessarily the um, you know, that's the end goal, but or that's the tool you're gonna use to get there. But what what's gonna make people shift to there to that place?
1: So I, I think it's just a matter of I think number one is a matter of time. And number two is like most technologies that go through this kind of maturity stage, right? They and also it, it's okay. So it's, okay, let me take a step back. There's a few things. One is um there's a huge rush into virtual. People don't know what they're doing. People, at least in 2020, now people do. People have a better idea and they're all optimizing for that. So number one was just the situation. Number two is, um, you know, technology, as you've seen, right? They always go through this life cycle. The beginning, early adopters, mass adoption, late adoption, everyone kind of goes through that. We're now kind of around the mass adoption stage. um, And I think it's like Zoom, you know? Why are people getting Zoom fatigue? It's because they're just sick, or not sick, but they're just, you know, just seeing the same thing over and over again. People need new ways of interaction. People need content. Well, like on Netflix, like there's just this constant desire for freshness and newness. And I believe the podcast model um, is fantastic. It's great, but I think when people really start focusing on engagement, which is the next level. They will have to. There will be this natural shift into this into this arena because people are going to be like, "Well, I'm. I need engagement. I need further engagement. I need further, um, better interaction. How do I get that? And by just using the same platform, the same sort of paradigm over and over again, that will eventually um, kind of get may get some fatigue over time. And so I think over time it will go there. And I think it's going faster than what people think.
0: What about in terms of scalability? Because if you're doing a broadcast event for, I don't know, 10,000 people, it's hard to replicate that into something super engaging and and interactive, or or do you see that differently?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, so here's my question is like, how do people have conventions that are 10,000 people? How do people maintain engagement there? Right. Like if,
0: sorry, go ahead. I, I don't know if they do. You know, I think, I think uh, there's a time and a space for 10,000 person convention. Um, I think part of what makes it really interesting when it's 10,000 people is that it's, you have to be there. You know, you have this feeling that it's important for you to be there and there's a lot of buzz around it and there's a lot of kind of, it's a vibrant place, um, but I think everybody has a separate experience. Um, however, my feeling is when you replicate that virtually, it's very hard to do. You know, just because you're watching a, you know, broadcast-style event and there's a little ticker in the corner that says 10,000 people are watching, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you don't really get the buzz of being in a room with 10,000 people. It's it's a very different feeling when you're virtually. Um, so I I think that there's a there's a, a place for that, and I think that those large events still make sense in a way. And if we can do them physically, I think they they're they're Worth it, at least in terms of the, the buzz and the networking and that feeling that you're part of something really large. Um, I think, in terms of sustainability and all, the, all sorts of other issues, they're probably not sustainable. But I, I think it's very hard for an industry that sort of thrives on building those kind of events to then shift completely into building quite small interaction events. And I'm not saying it's wrong or right, it's just that's a big focus of a lot of the industry. And how do you provide that industry with a, you know, a a model for interaction in virtual events that can take part of what what that does for them?
1: So if you think about it, right, like if you think about physical events, I mean, if you have 10,000 people in one hall, right, I mean, what are you really doing? Like you just sit there and there's people around you you get to feel that there's people around you. Are you interacting with people to the left and right of you when you're at, when you're at a keynote, for example?
0: I think it's different when you're at a keynote. No. Um, I think what happens at most keynotes is people are other emails. They're not actually in the room. Um, but that's just my sort of, you know, sitting from the back of the room, you can see a lot of blue screens in people's faces. Um, but if you had something like a trade show, um, I think there is an energy at trade shows that's really interesting. And, you know, it's, there's 10,000 people, there's an energy, the the fact that there's 10,000 people there, but you're not interacting with 10,000 people. You're probably, you know, in a day you're interacting with a hundred, maybe a couple of hundred, if you're really, you know, putting yourself out there and talking to a lot of people and that's okay. But if you think about every, each one of those 10,000 people having a hundred, 200 interactions, that still makes it quite an impressive kind of, and I think that's where that buzz and energy comes from.
1: So there's actually a few companies that are doing this, and this is something that, unfortunately, we don't focus on trade shows, but we do have people that have done trade shows um, on our platform. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people that have done a really good job with this um, and where they where they have, they can hear sort of the, the, the conversations that are like happening around them, but it's like very muffled, so you can't exactly listen to it, but you kind of hear in the background. Um, our the way how our, 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 platform is structured is that you can have one map and have a bunch of trade shows, like have a bunch of booths on that. In fact, we do, we don't do trade shows. We do something that's similar and they're called job fairs and poster sessions. Um, it, it's literally the layout is exactly the same. It's like two people per booth and people just kind of jo- jump from one booth to the next. Um, and people can kind of just have those small interactions and talk and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, what, what. I would say is is that we kind of don't focus on the trade show as much right now, but we have been successful in kind of scaling these small group interactions, these type of events for 10,000 people. So Mm -hmm. we would have um, several floors and several buildings. So not only a vertical sort of scaling, but also horizontal scaling, where you can go into different places and connect and network. With um, different vendors and all that kind of stuff, and this is something that we've we've actually done um, to a very large scale, and um, that is um, you know something that we've we've been able to do. And 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 some of our new a new feature that we've uh, just launched allows you to create, let's say, like ten different what we call event buildings, which are basically ten different floor plans. So you can have um, uh, show hall A or hall B. Networking, networking Lounge A, sponsored by IBM. That's like a unique experience. We have um, uh, Amphitheater uh, uh, One for one talk, Amphitheater Two for another talk. And you can move freely from each of these areas. Yep. Broadcast mode in one time, Network Lounge in another during the breaks. Um, and it literally creates this sort of uh, experience as an app. Back- a large, large convention, and you can feel the buzz if you want to. You know, depending on which area they're going to.
0: That sounds to be like a trade show. Why do you say you don't do trade shows? Is it just the sort of the, the naming that you don't use, or or do you see something I mean, different? It, it,
1: I mean, it it is similar. I mean, it is similar. When typically you show, it's like huge, like they're massive. Like typically when someone says trade show, it's like there's hundreds and two, like two hundred vendors, for example. We, we haven't done things that are level of 200 vendors and that's their whole thing that they do. Like trade shows also um, is like typically like, like that's all, like they don't have any like speakers or they don't have any like sponsors. It's just that uh, we, we typically don't have ones that are just specific, specific that it's, we we've done smaller scale sponsor zones, like a sponsor or a, a vendor marketplace smaller and more on like, Networking and um, the broadcasting, and, and it's small. It's just the, the, that that part is a bit more smaller scale when it's like five thousand plus sense. ten thousand
0: people. Interesting. That's that's always interesting to see the different formats and kind of understand how that works. I want to touch on one thing that you do offer that i think is i don't know if it's unique i don't know for every single platform but you have a an event agency partner program um could you tell us a little bit about you know why that came to be and and how that works
1: yeah so i mean event agency partner program really came about is because we just had a lot of amazing agencies work with us um, and we wanted to solidify that relationship with agencies our product is a bit unique from some of the other um, products that are out there is that our agencies make more money using our product compared to others. And there's a lot more opportunities for additional services that um, are required in order to make an event successful. Um, and so that allows them to make more money. So like, Can for you example, customizing explain the floor plan. how
0: that works? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a great, uh, they, yeah, absolutely. So customizing the floor, most events they want a custom floor plan of their own, so they get to design the floor plan um, for them. That's like a good amount of money there. The second is um, you have many different event buildings and many different floors, and so you actually kind of need human people to be there to support the different floors and support the different uh, buildings sometimes um, in order to make sure that you know everyone's okay, just like a normal physical event, right except it's cheaper because you don't need that many people. And um, it's just more flexible in terms of hours. So it's the, the, the cost compared to physical is cheaper. And, and and you can get people that's not necessarily, you have, they don't have to fly them in and there's like a lot of cost um, um, uh, benefits there. And so that also has like a bunch there, uh, a bunch of cost uh, uh, pricing um, services. And then there's also like um, running the actual event, coordinating the event, coordinating people, coordinating the speakers. Um, There's just a lot more um, opportunities to kind of like uh, uh, um, to charge and create that more experience. And also, you actually have to craft the agenda um, more uh, and um, actually have like a proper run of show and all that kind of stuff. There's just a lot more stuff that if people really wanted a really intricate show, an intricate um, event, they have the ability to get there with the help of an agency. And so a lot of event agencies uh, pick us because of our ability to, to, to create more immersive experiences that lead to, um, you know, help, you know, either customers with bigger budgets or customers that are willing to um, create uh, uh, something that's just more engaging.
0: But is this then, do you have a, a sort of percentage, a commission that goes to the agencies when they kind of yeah. walk in with Remo? Okay. And that's so right. So they have a
1: commission structure, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and so it sounds like, do you offer Remo as a software, as a service as a SaaS product? And then the agencies are the ones who customize That's and kind of set it up. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So our model is we, we focus on what we're good at is creating a base, great experience with software, um, mm-hmm. the actual running of the event; Those are professionals who've run events for you know, decades. And we work with them in order for them to, and a lot of event agencies say working with us is very similar to working a physical event, which is what attracts them, because then they are they're actually a- applying a lot of the same um, like run of show and organizing everything very similar to an actual uh, physical venue.
0: It's really interesting because we've seen from event man from event M perspective, perspective um, that most of the virtual event platforms have really upped their service levels so they've kind of taken a different approach rather than being SaaS products becoming very much kind of almost white glove products where they help people out for a premium but they help people out and they kind of help create the event and do all sorts of service. and, and you've kind of taken the opposite approach um have you seen that as well in the market and is there a particular reason why yeah. you wanted to go in that direction
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, I think um we we want because our platform is very like ecosystem centric. Like we have a lot of vendors. Um, we have a lot of like map designers, we have a lot of agencies, we have MCs, we have a lot of people that play very specific roles that kind of are part of our ecosystem. And so we want to create that ecosystem of different players rather than we just kind of do everything. Um, because um Number one is that I, we just, we've just we just worked with amazing people that are just outside of remote. Just, that's just really the answer is, and we found them to be much more better at it than us. And, um, and, and also that we believe that like customers need to have choice and they might have different budget constraints. Um, and, um, and, and we have a very good program in training a lot of our agencies so that they're just as good as us. In fact, most agencies actually in, in, from, from our perspective, know and experiment more with the product than us like they will share with us some of the things that they've found and they've done and even way better than what we do and to me that's way more compelling and way much more better for the business for uh for the customer way better for the customer and
0: so you're kind of saying the
1: the journey that we've taken
0: yeah you're kind of saying hey we're the the software experts We're, we're creating the platform and let's the uh the kind of meeting design experts go crazy and and do some crazy things and kind of push the system as, as much as as they can is kind of that what you're saying
1: yeah exactly because our our platform it's you know i said like a map right it's anyone can design it however they want we've had spaceships we've had rooftop bars we've had like this um uh this this arena we've had Everything anything you can think of was already created this. We've have crazy like funerals, baby showers, like people just go, go ham on like designing these amazing maps. And so essentially what we are is we are a canvas. We People just design whatever they want. It's just highly customizable. And because it's so customizable, these agencies can just create amazing experiences. And that's basically what, what allows us to be so unique and different from our competitors.
0: Interesting. Um, I also noticed on your website that you were, or I saw maybe something you did on LinkedIn, that you were looking at carbon credits. Um, and I, I realized that DI and sustainability is also something interesting, at least something that we're constantly talking about. Why this interest in carbon credits? I'm curious.
1: Yeah. So as a company, we're very interested in becoming carbon neutral. And we see ourselves as a really great way, vir- as you know, we all know, like virtual events is a great way for... Um as reducing carbon emissions um, for companies. And so um, for event organizers and for, for companies who are organizing events. And so, you know, for carbon credits, we have seen a lot of um, hybrid event organizers that um, are looking to kind of offset their physical portion of their events um, and offset that piece. Um, where like the virtual event is pretty much near zero what do you do with the with the physical part as a hybrid solution and so um, w- what we do is we basically help offset those carbon credits for them so we provide extra services to actually help them offset that and um, and, and we basically um, help package and, and and help our customers like figure out what's the right carbon credit strategy that they want to do um, and, and so we're, we're doing that so we, we believe that if you can make your event as you know carbon neutral as possible um we just provide the, 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 the we, we actually provide the avenue and we know what are the rights. Um, uh, we provide basically a carbon credit off solution that allows us to do that.
0: Excellent. I mean, that's, that. I think that's a really interesting approach and definitely in this hybrid world, it'd be interesting to be able to do that. Um, so I've got a, a couple more questions just to wrap up. Uh, the first one is really, if, you know, what would your advice be to someone who's, considering, um, this kind of, uh, engagement, this kind of interaction that we've been talking about, but is, you know, maybe also considering a more broadcast approach. And I think event planners are always reluctant to try too many new things because events are so time specific and it's so time critical, right? So making a brave choice to step away from a broadcast model is always challenging, What would you say to someone who's who's looking at that and uh maybe considering it but is on the fence
1: yeah i mean i mean at the end of the day so i would look at it as like what is their goal like what are your customers goals um if it's typical customer goals are like what it's awareness it's roi it's um it's being able to um get more leads more business like um maybe it's uh uh, internal employee engagement training, like all that stuff, right? And all those things, if we all went to university, like who, if we all went to university and we all just sat there listening to someone, right? Some people are really good at that. Some people are really good at like absorbing information and like doing well in school. Um, I was okay at school. I wasn't particularly great, but you know, is that a really good way to achieve your goal? Right. And I think, some of us would say some cases, yes, some cases, no. But in the corporate you know, level, right, um, you're really trying to push and make sure that, that like, you can create the most effective ROI from a corporate standpoint. And I would go back and say, okay, if, if, if the corporation is trying to achieve a goal, the, really the most effective way is to do engagement. Everyone wants engagement. In fact, the industry will push towards engagement more. More engagement metric more engagement and more proof of that this engagement actually led to a certain you know, ROI because now in the event industry before, right, you couldn't track anything, right? If you ask event planners, how do you know that your event's successful? A lot of them say, well, I just sent out a survey, which, which now when you look at virtual event platforms, like virtual event platforms, like, oh, my gosh, like, survey is your level. We can measure everything now. Wow. So what that means is that for event planners, they're all now have a set of metrics that can measure and make them accountable now. And and that means that the bar that you have to make things more engaging is now much higher, way, way higher. And... um, clients will pick up on that. They will know that. They will find out if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Someone's going to say, hey, I want to show you the ROI of my agency and what I provide a value for you. And they're going to go deep into metrics. Like we, we show how many meaningful conversations people have. We show uh, meaningful. Like we're able to measure how meaningful it was and how they were able to network and communicate. We can measure um, how the they were engaging with the content, which leads to them being able to remember and... In, like just vegetate or, or apply the content much better than just a broadcast mode. And so what I would say is that think about what they're doing and showing them the metrics that can basically like, like, like achieve their goals. That's something where broadcast has potential limitations. It's okay for now, but you know, as time goes on, the market's going to change towards this direction. And to me, I think, being the head of the game here for engagement is better being than at the back of the game. because when we're at the back of the game, then you're just catching up. And, um, that's something where you don't want to be too far behind.
0: That's interesting. Tell me a little bit about this metric of, of engagement. What do you, what can you actually measure there?
1: Well, we can measure, for example, um, the length of audio and video that's turned on mm-hmm. at the event. How many people have you spoke to? Um, what are some of the topics that you're talking about? What are the hottest topics? Um, when it's in a conversation mode or a broadcast mode, we can measure um, how people, like if they're, if they're chatting a lot or if there's a lot of emojis uh, that are being given, for example, we, can ha- we have this graph where it shows the amount of engagement throughout the entire event, like, you know, up and down. And so, and also it's a timeline, for example, like start of the event to the end of the event, like first hour, second hour, third hour, we can see the attendance and also the engagement. And so now you can get really scientific. Like you can be like oh when this person spoke engagement was down. But when this person spoke engagement was really really high. Like you can now do really really scientific things and say oh this topic not interest people were not interested or this type of um, activity um, did not boost engagement later down the road, or we should say these certain things or introduce these types of engagement that actually leads to higher engagement later down the road. So we can do a lot of interesting things that you really couldn't do before. You really, really couldn't do before. And I think the virtual industry is all us is heading in this direction for sure.
0: And I guess if you're more focused on the interaction, then there's more things to measure rather than a broadcast situation where there's just, you know, the, exactly. the maybe emojis or something like that, that people are doing or, or the chat side of things.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Interesting. Well, Huyen, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. I think it's been really interesting, a little dive into interaction and hopefully what, what you see is the future of, of the event industry. I am um, think I'm going to catch you maybe a little bit off guard, but I'm going to ask you a question that we ask everybody at the end of the show, which is, um, who would you recommend uh, we should invite to be a guest on the show? Um, if you could give us uh, someone from your network that you think would be interested in uh, in chatting with us and connecting to event uh, managers from all over the world.
1: And it's, it's in the event industry. Is that correct?
0: doesn't have to be as long as they're interested in the event industry. I mean, it's, it's really oh. an open-ended question. Um, who's
1: ever, oh, who's ever interested in the event industry? Um, Ooh, that's a good one to, to, to ask, like right on. Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely several. I mean, like, if you guys haven't had, um, the uh CEO of a cell um, I think he's uh great. Um, I think he's a great person to um to have. Uh, Jonathan Nazarian, um, I think he's mm-hmm. I think he's some of the stuff that he's been saying, I think, really great. Recommend, I would recommend him,
0: okay. Thank you very much. We, we, we've had Jonathan on one of our summits before, so it'd be, uh, be easy to invite him onto the show and I think he'd be a, a great guest. So thank you very much for the recommendation. Awesome. Huyen, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed your time on the Event Manager Podcast. And uh, for anybody listening, please do uh, subscribe, uh, rate, and review the podcast wherever you go, wherever you get your podcasts. And I look forward to having you join us again soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this edition of the event manager podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts for the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry. Head over to eventmv.com